don't know. I don't know. Doesn't do that on a regular computer. I don't know what the deal is. Okay, here we are. It's Parshish B'Shalach. So much happens in B'Shalach. Like, so much. There are some Parshish, like I said, I was saying before, some Parshish were like, nothing happens. Or, no, there's no Parshish that nothing happens, but there's some Parshish, like, there's one story. You know, Eliezer goes to find, you know, Eliezer goes to find a wife for, for Yitzchak. That like is a whole Parsha, basically, you know, nice and whatever. But Bishalach has a lot, a lot of stuff going on here. So in a, in a nutshell, we're going to have Exodus part two, right? We're going to have the crossing of the sea. We're going to have the song of the sea. This is really very, very, uh, you know, the, the Cliff Notes version of the situation, just to say that we finished it. Um, Wednesday, the chitas of Wednesday, the, the reading, the fourth reading is really long. It's all of Azyasha, which we're going to touch on a little bit. We're not actually going to go into Azyasha so much. And then, um, then the fifth Aliyah picks up, which is in chapter 20, uh, ch- sorry, chapter 15, uh, verse 27. And then it crosses into chapter 16, um, is where they, they travel from the sea. They leave there and they go, they get to this place, um, they uh, they get to a place called Mara, and oh no 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 that happens before, uh, that happens in the last parsha and then sorry the last aliyah. We're gonna get to that where they go they get someplace they can't drink the water because the water is all bitter. Uh, we're gonna get to that in a second. Then they come here and they're like we have no meat to eat, and so they're gonna have this idea of. This, this, these birds, these slugs, it's called, that are going to come. And then we have a conversation about um, the man. Uh, uh, here's, here's One second. And then man, which is in chapter uh, 18. Blah, 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 blah. So, sorry, from early 15, they have over there. And so we have the laws of the man, which we're going to get into a second. Well, not now, but soon we will. And then the end of the Parsha, the end of the Parsha, we have um, the war with Amalek. Why is the next Parsha in They don't go to the no. Which doesn't bring all of the Israel to Israel. No, no, no. Yitro comes to... Let me just see the figure. We have the war with Amalek over here, which we're going to get to. Yeah, okay. So that's like... There's a lot of stuff going on over here. The next part, we're going to talk about the next part. But Yitro is actually named for Yitro, Moshe's father-in-law, who comes to the Jewish people in the desert, and then they're able to... Um, and then they're able to get the Torah. So that's next week's part. is going to be getting the Torah. So this week, we have a lot of stuff going on. Okay, there, we got it. We have crossing the sea, the song of the sea, the, the birds that they're going to have, the bitter water, the mana, the fight with the Molech. That's like five major things going on. So let's start. Okay, so first of all, it starts off that when when Paro sends people out, Hashem does not take them the straight route because it's close. And he said that he didn't want to take them the straight route if you were to look at from Egypt going up to Israel, it would be a, a really a straight line. Hashem doesn't take them that way um, because he says maybe the people are going to like get upset and they're going to want to go back to Egypt. Okay, I want to sit here for two minutes. First of all, how crazy 
that the Jewish people, there is a thought that they could want to go back to Egypt. Wow. Right? Like how? Um, I guess it's like Stockholm Syndrome. Syndrome. No, it's not even Stockholm Syndrome. It's not even that. Why, why? Like they were comfortable. Like well, they but they weren't. But they weren't comfortable there. They were slaves for everything except the last 10 months. There was, yeah, they were using babies as bricks. They were throwing their kids into the Nile. They were, okay. The Jews are in Egypt for 210 years, okay? Of the 10 years, the last 86 are terrible, 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 terrible. This means, could you imagine if the Holocaust had lasted for 86 years instead of the time that it did? They were slave labor. They were being killed. They were being beat. They were being tortured. And then they have it sweet for 10 months during the plagues. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid we're going to go back to Israel. So it's so easy to look at them and say, whatever, you know, losers or whatever. But, 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 how many times do we do that? We know something's not good for us. It could be a person, it could be a food, it could be a place, it could be a thing. And we're like, we are never, ever, ever, we're done with that. That is no good for us. We are finished. And then a little while later, it's not a little while. Okay, even if you give yourself the benefit that it wasn't two hours, even if you give yourself the benefit, however long it's going to take you, you know, you could say cognitive dissonance, we forgot. But there is that place of the, whether you say the pull of the habit, the pull of the behavior, even though, and we know Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, it's a place that's not good for us. And still there is that place of the comfort of what we were, where we were comfortable and where we were used to it. And the, and the, and the place of, you know, the place of, going to something that intellectually we know is really not good for us. And somehow the mind-heart disconnect allows for the possibility for us to go back to that behavior, go back to that situation. And Hashem's like, we're not having that. I, I need to help the people not do that because it is our inclination to go back to someplace that is not good for us. That is definitely how we operate. Our default is to go back to what we're familiar with, even if the familiar isn't for, isn't good for us, and right? I mean, this has been yeah. It's a theme, right? <laughs> it's a theme. <laughs> this is not new, right? Wouldn't it be nice if I said this and we were like, "What? I have no idea what you're talking about." But we, but all of us, like in your head, you're counting five different people, situations, things, anything. We know, like we do it all the time. Hashem says, first of all. I'm acknowledging that this is the reality. I'm acknowledging that this is the, the possible sentiment. And so we are going to do it differently. The other thing, which is very interesting, is this idea of vayasev, Hashem taking the Jews out on a circuit, circuitous, circuit. I can spell it, but I can't pronounce it right now, okay? He didn't take them straight up. He, if you actually look at where the Jews go, they're literally going back and forth. They are literally going in like a crazy way. Um, and and the, the possibility for the Jews to say, dude's lost, right? Like, where are we going? What's going on over here? In fact, that's what Paro says. Paro says, oh, the Jews are lost. Let's go get the Jews back. That was such a talk about going back to bad mistakes, right? 
So, so, so the Chumash tells us that he, that when, if you remember the original conversation, what did Moshe ask for originally? For what? He didn't say, let my people go forever and ever and ever. He said, let my people go for three days so we could serve God in the wilderness. That was the original, that was the first thing he asked for. We might have skipped, we might not have gotten it. We skipped so many things though. Like, do you have anything we see for the state of Parsha? I feel like I should apologize every time. The first thing that Moshe asked for was to let the people, three days. And I always think, what would, what would have happened if Paro said, sure, go for three days. Go for three days and then come back, right? But Paro didn't say that. And so then we had the whole situation with the Makas, blah, 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 that all thing happens, right? So when the Jews go, so when the Jews go, uh, Paro sends people with them. And so the whole retinue entourage is traveling for three days. And then the people are like, they're not stopping, right? So the Jews keep going. And there are a massive group of people. There are 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60. If you extrapolate how many people were part of this. Jews. The Jews and the people who took who people called the Arab route were like, oh, we want to be on a winning team. So there was a whole group of those people going along. But even if you say the Jews, there were 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60. If you were to do your most conservative uh, population expansion, where were the women? Where were the people who were older? Where were the people who were younger? You're getting to numbers like two, three million people, right? Right? Yeah. Like just check out the numbers. You're talking about massive numbers of people. So that group is moving kind of slowly. So the spies or whoever, the parallels, people who are there, they go after three days, they're not turning around. So they go back to, to the Pharaoh. And also, you know, it's so funny because like now we'd say, oh, there'd be a drone in the sky following them. So of course they would know. But that many people, there's going to be, you're going to have to see it. On a clear day, you're going to be able to see where they're going. So the Pharaoh sees that they are in fact wandering in the desert. They look like they're lost. So he says, let's go get them. But before we get to that, I want to say something. Why does Hashem take them on this circuitous that's the word circuitous way why does he take Hashem why does Hashem just take them straight because Hashem knows that for these people the straight route is a bad choice they're going to go they're going to meet they're going to they're going to meet um uh, opposition and they don't have enough like strength of character or whatever to fight against when, if something's going to happen, they're going to find some kind of war. Something's going to come up against them. They're not going to be able to withstand it. Shem knows for these people, it can't be straight. It has to be a little bit different, right? And in our lives, that's actually the same thing. Sometimes we think, why can't we just go from here to there? How did we get to here? You know, you look back, you were, no, you were saying at the Perbregan, the last five years, we, how did we get to here? Why couldn't it have just been a straight line? Did it have to be, right? And so we have to believe and we have to understand that just like Hashem did it for them, he said, what is the best way for them to get from point A to point B is not the straight route. That means for us in our lives, the exact same thing is true. And it's very interesting, you know, how do people work? How do you understand such a thing when you don't have certain like modern, cute little things, right? Ever go someplace and you put on ways Anybody here ever draw? What? Waze. You hate waves? I don't like waves. Google, whatever. Google, it doesn't matter. I love waves. I love waves. Personally, I don't even have a car. But what's, <laughs> <laughs> right? 
But what's the thing? Waze is like, I know how to go from point A to point B. But when Waze says, exit over here, and then you're like, nah, I know the way. But then you go like a little bit, and then all of a sudden you hit traffic or God forbid an accident or something. And why does Waze work? Waze does not work. Waze totally works. Waze toast. No. Okay. Okay. So Google Maps. It doesn't matter. No, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Some, I'll tell you what. The, I'll, okay. This is not. A, this is not an ad for Waze. But one of the downsides of Waze is that sometimes you need to check their options that they're, they're giving you because sometimes they're giving you a route that's going to save you a minute, but it's going to take you in like a real crazy kind of thing. So they're giving you the shortest route, which isn't always the most convenient. It might be better to spend another minute, but stay on the highway instead of going off and exit, whatever. So that is a downside about Waze and you have to know how to use it. But what's my point? Waze is working off satellites and from other customers. So they have a a more global vision than me in my car who can see, I have terrible eyesight, so don't ask me how far I can see, right? how far can I see what's going on? I can't see once the road turns. I don't know what's happening over there. I don't know what's waiting for me. So Waze uses the network to let everybody know what's going on ahead of you, right? When Hashem says to us, he doesn't say it to us because if he said it to us, it would be so easy to understand. Oh, God wants me to go this way. So therefore, (coughs) excuse me, my life is taking all these random turns that I don't understand. We don't get to see it. We don't get to like check the alternate route and say, oh my gosh, that way is totally blocked. I'm so glad I listened, right? We don't see that, but we see life. We see how we move from place to place. Most of the time, it's not straight. It's not straight lines. It's really not. And we have to know that just like the Abishur took the Jews out of of Mitzrayim, he took them out of Egypt, and there was a plan for why they weren't going straight. When we aren't going straight, we have to understand that Hashem is saying, for me, that's the best way to go, to do a, a, a some kind of weird, meet this random person, go to that place, like all the experiences that make up our lives, as hard as it is to really get it, sometimes in our life, we're actually blessed to be able to look back and say, oh, I can trace it. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Mm-hmm. So very often when you're in the middle of it, you're like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how this is going to end up. But sometimes we're blessed with the clarity and the time, and we were talking about consciousness, of looking back and saying, how did I get it? Oh, I see it. I see it. That that decision, which maybe at the time wasn't the best decision that I could have made, led me to this person, to that place, to that experience that led me here. I wouldn't have ended up that way. You know, I was listening. I was, I was on a far brain last night. And one of the women who was speaking, it was, it was very, we had a Zoom for brain because half the country is in quarantine right now. So one, the fact that she involved in Hasidus was not at all, she said it would have made much more sense if I had been non-religious and living in Tel Aviv, whatever, that would have made so much more sense than somebody coming from, or then go from that, that space of totally or mitzvahs into Hasidus, so she's like, it's just, but you could trace it. You could trace how that should never have happened, and yet it really did happen. I think that in our lives, when we are open to looking, open to seeing, sometimes we actually do see how how the path worked. And for us to be able to, to say, God, right now, I don't get it. I don't see what's happening. I don't see how this is. I don't know why couldn't I have just taken a straight line like that way, but can we understand that Hashem's doing this for our best 
for our best, everything, the best, the best outcome. The, and yes, the smoothest outcome is sometimes not the straightest one. So that, like really in the first few words of the Parsha, we already have that, we have two major, major things going on over here. Okay, so Hashem takes them in this whole situation. Over here in the beginning, Moshe also takes out Yosef's bones. If you remember the end of last week, uh, the end of the last Chomish, the end of Barashas, when Yosef says, when you will be redeemed, take my bones with you. So that night, that last hectic night in Egypt, which was the Pesach Seder and the killing of the firstborn and the going to borrow the stuff from the, the neighbors, all that was happening the same night. Yosef was, uh, sorry, Moshe was going to find Yosef's bones because he knew we promised Yosef we weren't going to leave without him. So that was going on. So, so Moshe has those with him and they, and they keep going. And Hashem getting there, they're trying to get to the, they're trying to get to the, to, they're trying to move. So they keep going and they get to a place and the way Hashem is navigating them is really kind of crooked. If you look at a map, they're going like here and there and the other. And it's all of a sudden the people find themselves in a place well, that's where I started saying that the people who went with them were able to go back to Egypt fast at Pesach with the Seder. And we have the seventh day where we cross the Red Sea. And in the interim, we have the Jews traveling from Mitzrayim to the sea. And they're going to have their final encounter with Paro at the sea. Um, so in the three days when they didn't turn around and the messengers go back to power and they have time to go back, power mobilizes the people and catch up to the people on day seven at the, at the banks of the sea. Okay. So power, he decides he's going to go chase them and the people get to a place. And this is like really the second Aliyah it's chapter 14, verse nine and 10 and, uh, and 11. There's a whole conversation that goes on over here of uh, the Jews all of a sudden find themselves stuck. There's a sea in front of them. There's mountains on one side. There's mountains on the other side. And there are Egyptians behind them. They literally are stuck. They don't know what to do. So the people come up and they see and they all start freaking out and they all start screaming to Moshe and they say to Moshe, like, why'd you take us out? There weren't enough graves in Egypt. Right over here, take a look. 11, 12. Does anybody have a Flemish open? No one to read for us? Uh, chapter 14, uh, from 10, 11, 12. English, English is good. Yeah. Power approach. The children of Israel raised their eyes and told Egypt was journey, 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 journeying, journeying, journeying after us, and they were very frightened. The children of Israel cried out to the Sham, they said to Moshe, Were there no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What is this that you've done to take us out of Egypt? Is this not the statement that we made to you in Egypt, saying, Let us be and we will serve Egypt, for it is better that we should serve Egypt than we should die in the wilderness? Okay, so this is already, this, these are some things we've talked about. They're ready, ready to go back. Let's go back to the servitude. And what does Moshe say? Adini have a chumish? Go, 13, 14. Moshe says that people don't be afraid. Stand firm and see God's salvation as he will perform for you today. You may be seeing the Egyptians today, but you will never see them again. God will fight for you, but you must remain silent. Okay, so I want to see if 
in, in the conversation of what Moshe is telling the people, they're like, oh my gosh, what are we doing here? We should go back. We should, the, 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 the Rebbe has a whole sikha and it's in uh, that book, Torah study. So I don't want to go into it because we have so little time. There's basically these couple of verses describe four factions at the sea. Everybody has a different argument, what we should do. These ones want to die. These ones want to fight back. These want to go back to Egypt. And these ones want to start praying. And Moshe's like, no, Hashem's going to fight for you. Don't worry about this. You know, you just be quiet. And we're going to talk about that, that place in a second, because I want to first get to Hashem's response to them, where Hashem, when Moshe says to them, you should be quiet. He's even saying, don't pray. That's not what we're about now. Don't pray. Nistar, go. God's answer? 15, 16. Hashem said to Moshe, why are you crying out to me? Speak to the children of Israel and let them move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and split it. Let the children of Israel enter into the middle of the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will come after them. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his entire army with his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and am I getting glory through Okay, so we're gonna. So, what does Hashem say to them? Keep moving, keep moving, and the people are all like, "There's this big body of water in front of us, and it's very nice to say keep moving, but practically speaking, how do we do this?" So Hashem is going to give Moshe an a one instruction, which is going to be to raise his staff. You know, we always have this image, we're going like that, but it's not. He just raises his staff, the wind comes, blows all night, and we're going to talk about how it splits the sea. But Moshe, Moshe does blood. He does blood. And so the Medrash tells us, so what happens while they're waiting? Everybody's standing, and everybody's like, uh, what do we do now? So Nachshan, the son of Aminadav, the, the Medrash tells us, he's, a, he's the head of the tribe of Yehuda. He's like, God says, keep going. We're going to keep going. <laughs> And they start going and they start walking. And the measure says that he starts walking into the water and he continues. And when he starts going, his whole tribe goes with him because he's the leader. He's a leader that his people are going to go with him. So he starts walking. They start walking and the water is getting higher and higher and higher. How many people have you know, you've been to the you've been to the ocean or well, it's not, it's not an ocean. It's a big it's a big body of water. So it's not like you don't it's not like jumping into the pool at the 10 foot marker. You know, it's it's low and it keeps getting higher and higher and higher. And they keep walking because this is what God said. We're supposed to keep going. We're supposed to keep moving. And they, the measure says that they walk until the water was already up to their nostrils. That means either something's going to happen or we're all going to die. Right. And at that point, the sea splits. You know, we were talking about this in class two days ago about how do we know what it is that we're supposed to be doing at any given moment. So these people happen to have been very, very lucky. They had Moshe who said, go, <laughs> just go, you know, and then you had people who actually took that place of go and they went and they started to do it. There are times in our life often where we really do know that we where we need to be is there. We're here and we need to be there. And there is some kind of obstacle in our mat, in our, in our path. We need to not treat it seriously. When you take people and you walk into a body of water, we are not fish. We cannot breathe underwater. They're just going to keep going as if this isn't 
this isn't real. This isn't, well, not that it isn't real. They were getting wet. It wasn't, they weren't getting wet. But the place of, of if we need to go from point, here, point A to point B, then somehow this obstacle that looks so real to me clearly is not as real as I think it is. Because if I really have to go over there, how could this be real? Now, does it mean that if we touch the water, we won't get wet? No, we're going to get wet. But in our lives, there are so many times that if we proceed to where we know we need to be, we know what our next step is supposed to be, then somehow the things that stand in our way, you know, sort of fall, hopefully we get to see how they fall to the side and we don't end up drowning because that would be really terrible, right? How many times, you know, we're trying to get to Israel to come and learn. We're trying to get involved in a deeper relationship with Hashem and, and, and the people around us who we would think would be supportive are, are not. And then when we say, but if this is where I need to go and this is what I need to do and this is what I need to be, when we can do it wholeheartedly, then somehow we often find that those people or those things or those ideas that were fighting us no longer are fighting us. And so we have this combination of two things happening over here. We have Nachshon and the people who are saying, Yala, we're going to go. And we have Moshe who's bring the wind and it's going to, in fact, split the, split the sea. Now, a couple of interesting, as Rachel would say, fun facts about the splitting of the Red Sea. First of all, it's not the Red Sea. It's the Amsuf, it's the Sea of Reeds. Um, it's not the Red Sea. It's first of all. Second of all, the sea did not split into one channel. Okay, according to, according to the Medrash, it split into 13. And it also did not split straight across right? It split kind of circular. They essentially came out very close to where they left, right? They, Wait, what? <laughs> they don't go. We think, oh, they have to go there. So they're going to go from here to there. But the, the measure says that the sea, that the, the way the sea split was actually more circular. It was like, a, it was almost like a, it was almost like a rainbow shape. So they are actually, it might have been, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was more to the end of those sea reeds. So it's not mamish like this, but it's like this. So they come out very close to where they left. Okay. But they crossed. But they didn't, so they don't cross this way. They, cro they, they go through, they go through the sea. They're going to go through the sea. Okay. So first of all, I want to say the fact that the sea did not split in one is because, why, why does the Medrash tell us that we have more than one way to split it? Every tribe has their own way. Every tribe had their own path, okay? And so when anybody says to you, there's only one way to have an authentic relationship with Hashem, it's actually not true. 13. There's 13. There's at least 13, exactly. There has, there, there's more than one way to have a relationship with Hashem. That's first of all. Second of all, the Medrash describes that the water you could see between the, you could see between, it was, it was like, it was some kind of way that they could see the people on the other channels. They could. They could. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, which is very interesting that we just know intuitively, if you have not, if you have a straight shape, if you have a line, right. But when you have a, a curve thing, whether you have a full semicircle or you have some kind of turning thing, not everybody's path through the water is the same distance, right? And in life, how many times do we look to the people to the right of us or to the left of us? And we say, 
why can't my path be as easy as theirs, as smooth as theirs? Why does it have to take me so long to get to where I'm going? Because it's each of us are on our own journey. We can help each other, we can work together, but at the end of the day, we're all going to get to the same space. And it's not, it's not a race. It's not, that, it's not a competition. It's just a question of a journey. And how do we go from here to there? And the discussion of what anybody has in their spiritual, emotional toolbox is going to help determine how we're going to get through. So it doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that we can't learn new things. It doesn't mean that we can't teach ourselves new things and hear from other people. But when we look and we say, but why can't it be like those people? It's, I don't want to say it's a silly question, but a little bit, it's a silly question because we're not those people. We don't have, our temperaments are not the same. Our skills are not the same. Our characters are not the same. There's so much not the same. How do we expect to have the same outcome? And we're the only thing that we're expecting really to be the same is that we're going to all end up in a coming to clarity in the relationship in our relationship with Hashem. The other thing that I want to say about the sea splitting, Hasidus talks about it a lot. That, I mean, everybody talks about the sea splitting because it's like, wow, that's pretty awesome, right? But it's like, what was the point? What was the point of the sea splitting? Because it doesn't stay split. It goes right? The Jews go through, the Egyptians come in, it all crashes down, blah, blah, blah. What's the point of the split if it's not going to stay split? Okay, maybe. So, you know, they say this kid comes home from Hebrew school and he, they, what did you learn? And he's like, and he tells his mother that, you know, they told us the Jews came to the, the Sea of Reeds and they all built rafts and they went across the sea. And she's like, really? That's what they told you. She, he's like, that's not what they told you, but you would not believe the story they did say. Um, why did it split? So it was, yes, to get to the other side. But more than that, and this is what Hasidus is talking about. All over in Kabbalah, the Gemara, all over the place, they use this analogy. And they talk about that the sea and dry land are exactly the same. Everything that you have on dry land, you have in the sea. The difference is that in a dry land, you see it. And in the sea, you don't see it, right? Today, we have all kinds of equipment that allows us to see things that are under the water, which is actually very messianic, right? So Hasidus explains, Kabbalah explains, talk about it in so many places. Everything that you have on dry land, you also have in the sea. What the sea does is, is we just don't see it. We just don't see the mountains and the plains and the different animals and the different fish and the diff- all the different things, the plant life. We don't see any of that. But we have, but there's this place where we know that it, that it exists. And when the sea splits, and this is the prerequisite to going to Sinai, what's going to happen at Sinai? They're going to get, they're going to have revelation. They're going to have, they're going to get the Torah from Hashem, and they're also going to be given the mandate. They're going to also be given the mandate to fuse heaven and earth. Pre-Sinai, whatever mitzvahs were done were totally, heaven and earth were totally separate. You did not have such a concept as a homish that's holy. Paper didn't be, well, they didn't have paper, but papyrus didn't become holy, right? Things didn't become holy. They, it, they brought down holiness. And when we stopped doing what we were doing, they no longer were holy. Sinai is going to be a sea change, literally, okay? We're going to be able to affect, we're going to be able to say that our world is going to become imbued with holiness. We're going to have parts of our body that become holy. We have books that are holy. We have holy objects. We have a safer Torah, all this kind of stuff that we, that was not possible pre-Sinai. And the only way we can do it is if we actually see once and for all 
what's what's in the depths when we're actually able to see that it's all the same. We're going to split open that which is the most unfathomable. I think I skipped it. Unfathom, unfathomable, whatever that one that we can't understand. That we just say, oh, it just looks like water. It's like nothing. There's nothing there. And when we can open it up and say, wait a second, there is a lot here. There is so much here. Then we are able to go now and reflect back into our world and say, oh, everything in the world has holiness. Everything has stuff that we can't see, that we would not have known that it was there had we not ever seen it with our own very eyes. If we'd never seen it, we would not know this. And, And when you... Once it opens and we have that knowledge, it doesn't have to stay open. It doesn't have to stay open. It has to, we have to have like that trace memory that it was open. And it's interesting that the, the Gemara says that, right? What's the, we talk about what's hard. What is, as if I said, what is as hard as splitting the Red Sea, as splitting the sea? Right? Finding your soulmate, right? The, the hardest, it's, it, it, is, it is as hard to make matches as it is to split the sea. Why? Like of all the examples, why? Because when we see people, we often look on their very surface level and we say, this is who they are. But we have to understand that every single person is a C. And if we can't split ourselves and know really what's going on in ourselves, we don't get to know another person really deeply inside who they are. We don't have a chance of making it work. And that's why we use the example of of splitting of the C. Okay, there is a lot more, but we are actually very doing very, very poorly for time. And there are some other things that I really, really, really want to talk about. Um, uh, so the end of the, this, I know it's not a super spoiler. The Jews get through the sea. Yay, the Egyptians drown. And that's the end of that. Now, after they come out, and this is something that I want to touch on for a little bit. We have uh, the Jews go through, blah, blah, blah. We're missing. I'm just telling you, just know we didn't cover most of the stuff. Just okay. Chapters every single day. We say two verses of ch- from chapter 14, verse 30, 31. Um, and we sing the Azyashir. We say the Azyashir every single day in our davening. It's the crossover from the end of praises of Hashem to the pre the ple- oh, say this in English properly to the preamble to Shema. So we say Azyashir. We have this this thing, this whole song. And Interesting, you know, interesting thing over here. I would say two things, first of all. Um, uh, it talks about that Hashem saved, uh, verse 30, Hashem saved, the, on that day, Hashem saved the Jewish people from the hands of Egypt. And the Jewish people saw Egypt die on the, the banks of the, of the water. And the people saw the, the great hand of Hashem, that he did for them that he did for them in Egypt and the people feared Hashem and they believed in Hashem and in Moshe his servant it's very interesting and it's kind of touch up touch on that idea that we we're talking about before shouldn't it say that Hashem saved them from the Egyptians he didn't save them from Egypt he saved them from the Egyptians but actually that's not true because based on what we talked about before that place of Egypt that place that constrains us that place that holds us back the place that if we don't we could leave Egypt and still take Egypt with us. Because when the Jewish people come to the sea and they look back, they see Egypt, they see Pharaoh in Egypt, right? They see Egypt with them. They're like, wait a second, 
I thought we just had to get out of that situation. I thought we just had to leave that location and everything was going to be okay. I didn't realize there was more to do besides just getting out of that location. And Hashem, and, and one of the things when we cross the sea, it's like there's another action. There's, there's really two parts to the exodus. One is getting out of the bad place and B is being able to face down Egypt that we brought with us and say, no, you're not you're not part of my reality. I'm not accepting you. I'm going to drown you in the sea. You are not coming with me on my journey. Whatever it is that is holding us back, we have to have that ability to look it in the eye and say, I'm going to trust in Hashem. I'm going to keep doing what I need to do. And you are not going to interfere with my life. The other thing that I, what we touched on, we touched upon in a different class and I want to talk about just for a second. When Hashem says to them, don't daven, just keep moving. That seems like a little counterintuitive. Like, don't we always say, just daven, 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 right? Like everything's like, it's always like, let's go daven, let's say some till, and let's, you know, how many times do I hug you about davening? All the time. Requires like, go daven, go daven. The place of balance between using prayer as my point of inaction is, and, and what is my next step? That's something that I want to just throw out there, but it's something that has to be balanced all the time. Sometimes there is a time for prayer. There is a time for, for that kind of connecting to Hashem. And then there's sometimes this time where we just need to keep moving. And that's what we need to really be focusing on. Okay. So then, the, then they sing. So that's, that's end of that comment. So they sing the song. It says, I just want to say one thing about Az Yashir. It talks about, and Rashi says over here, um, Az Yashir is in a future tense. And then the Jewish people will sing. They, you know, you can go backwards and forwards. And Rashi says, this is the only place in the Torah we have proof of the revival of the dead, that in the future, the Jewish people will sing to Hashem. And a very, very, very long prayer. And in the, in the Torah scroll, it's actually written as poetry. It's written out um, in that form of like, instead of going all across like a Torah scroll does, it's like that, that little half, half, half column kind of thing. And then, so they have a long song. And then we have over here, in verse 20 and 21, we have a tiny little short uh, second praise, a second song that goes on over here. And it says, Vatikach Miriam Hanavia. Miriam, the prophetess, took, she took Achot Aaron. She's the, sorry, Miriam Hanavia, Achot Aaron. Miriam Hanavia, Miriam, the prophetess, who's this, the sister of Aaron. Etatof Biada, the, the, the drum, the tambourine, whatever in her hands. And all the women follow her with drums and all different kinds of dancing. And Miriam then leads them in song. And she says, That is the whole prayer that they do. That is their whole thing. It is a one-liner. And what's interesting, we know that the Haftorah always reflects what is the main part of the Parsha. The Haftorah for this Parsha is the, the song of Devorah, the prophetess, right? So we have, you know, we have lots of, you know, you say, oh yes, the praise, the sheer, that's like a really important part of this. So we have so many praises from men that we could use, but the, the Chachamim chose the prayer of Devorah to highlight that the prayer of Miriam and the, and the women was in many ways greater than the prayer of Moshe and, and the men. And it's a little tiny prayer. And you're like, what was so special about it? And look at Rashi, what Rashi says over here. Um, he says in the third Rashi, he says, with, with, with drums and with dancing, 
the women, the righteous women of that generation were so sure that Hashem was going to do miracles for them. They took instruments out with them from Mitzrayim. And one of the things that Hashem talks about, Miriam was the leader of the women. And she said to the women, ladies, we have suffered in Egypt something terrible. Really, it's been, it's been horrendous. You know, know what you're talking about taking the babies and using them as bricks. And, and there was a place where the women felt the, sur- the, the suffering so much more than the men because of the pain of the children and what was going on with the children. And she said, there is no way that this was for nothing. We know for sure, for sure, Hashem's going to do amazing, amazing miracles. We've suffered so much. There is for sure going to be something so stupendous. And we're going to want to say thank you to Hashem. When we packed, and when they left Egypt, they didn't have so much time to pack. They end up leaving. They were told to leave in the middle of the night. They end up leaving the next day. They don't have so much time to pack. Miriam says, ladies, take your instruments and hand luggage. Do not have it buried someplace in the bottom of the thing. We don't know where it's going to be. We don't know when it's going to be. But we know Hashem is going to do amazing things for us. And we're going to want to say shira to him. We're going to want to praise Hashem. And we're going to do it in the most beautiful way possible. Make sure you have your instruments with you because it's coming. It's going to happen. It's going to, we don't want to be caught unawares and say, whoa, that wouldn't it have been nice to have my flute with me, you know, but I buried it in my suitcase. Like, no, keep your instruments with you. And that is why their shear, the shear of the women, even though it's so short, is much more powerful than the men. Because the, the sages talk about the idea, like the men on a certain degree, we're like shocked into praise, like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Did you see that? It was like, and they, they burst into songs. The women expected it. They knew it was coming. They knew that amazing miracles were going to come and they were going to be ready for it. And parentheses, tonight, tonight, we're having activity tonight and we're going to be uh, decorating our own tambourines. So at the house tonight, we're going to have tambourines to, to decorate. So we get to be like those women and be ready, be ready for the, be ready for the redemption. Okay. And then, then they, then they keep moving. Then they keep moving. Okay. Um, they, there's in the beginning of Hamishi, which is, like I said, it's verse, uh, verse 27, uh, chapter, chapter 15, verse 27. So the people come to Elima, no wrong place. That's not the right one that I wanted to do. They come. Okay. That's, but that's a different thing. Anyway, um okay and da, 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 da. okay i'm gonna skip because i can't find it right in here where i can't find the, where it is right here and i should have every time i i there's a place where they come to mara where do they come to mara and the water was bitter it was before it was maybe at the end of shlish uh, might have been before it's just i don't know where it's okay whatever we'll get to it i don't know it doesn't matter we're going to talk about something else instead, okay? Um, we have, in this Parsha, we have the, the introduction of the man to the people. Uh, okay, by the way, in case you want to know why we overpack. Where? Which, chapter 15. Oh, thank you. So we're going to do that first. So the, so the Jews come to Mara, so they come to Mara. And they couldn't drink the water because the water was bitter. And therefore the place was called bitter. 
And so the people complain to Moshe and they say, what should we drink? And he says, Hashem. And he says that there's a tree there. Put the tree into the water and then it's going to become not bitter anymore. That does not, that was not a correct English sentence. I apologize. Um, right. So the Balshemta says that you could actually read this a little bit differently that they come tomorrow. It's kind of ambiguous. Who's the they? Who's so, so the Balsham says, because they were bitter. Because they were bitter, their experience there was bitter. And they couldn't, it was affecting everything. Because they were bitter, they, 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 their, their, relate, their reaction was that it was bitter there. And so the Balsham says, so what's the answer? What do you do in that such a situation? Take a tree, and we know that Torah is compared to the tree of life. Take that and throw it into the water. Put that Torah, put that place of Hashem is watching me. Hashem has a plan. Hashem is on my side. Hashem loves me. Put all of that into the water, and it will change how we see the situation. And we will once we are no longer bitter, the water and the experience around us will no longer be bitter either um yeah mamash it's a mindset and and there, like i say how many things are in this partial like some of the stuff in partial okay then we have the story with the month and if you take a look um it says it says help me how the jews were in the desert for a month where is it uh no that's a mole the jews 16, 18. 16, 18. Thank you. Okay, 16, 18. Um, 16, 13. Okay. So, uh, no, this is the slav. No, I want to. Before the mana, where they run out of food. Whatever. I will find the. Anyway, bottom line is the Jews were told we're going. 16, 4, 5. Okay. The Jews were told we're going for three days. And um, and what actually happens is they're in the desert for a month and they run out of food, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they don't know what to do. They don't have food. So I want to just say, parenthetically, in case you wonder why we overpack on a regular basis, because the Jews were going for a three-day excursion into the desert and they had enough food for 30 days two meals a day for a month, they had enough food with them. So in case you're wondering why you always have some food in the bottom of your purse, that's why. we It's in our jeans. We come by it honestly, you know, just in case. You never know, right? So the Jews are in the desert for a month and they run out of food and they, and Hashem says that he's going to give them this food called manna and um, it's going to be described as, it's described as like, cor- like crystal coriander seeds um, so they're going to be very little. They can taste like anything. It came, uh, it, used, it would fall every night. And every day, every morning, they had to collect the, they had to collect their mana. It's a whole conversation. And we clearly don't have enough time to get to the whole conversation of it. But um, the mana was 100% spiritual food in a physical form. It didn't have chew according to the Gemara it didn't you couldn't chew it it was like a melt in your mouth kind of food it was very little it was very pretty um the Gemara has a whole conversation like if you wanted it to change flavors you would ask your friend to bless you that your mana should taste like a smoothie or whatever you know um once a year, right? no so so 
it says they had a Nasir's Ha'efa, a tenth of an Efa. And if you actually, it's like the Gemara Bray, it's like 53 and a fifth eggs as a, as a volume. And like, if you crack it down, it's like five pounds. It's like, a, it's an enormous, actually. It's a, no, well, here's the thing. Everybody ate the exact same amount. It didn't matter how big you were or how little you were. But it was five pounds? Well, so it's not really five pounds in pounds. It's in volume. Picture 53 eggs in volume. Right. Picture 53 eggs weight. It, it's a lot. No, no, wait. But right. But so, but I'm saying, imagine, imagine that weight, but in the volume of it. I don't know exactly how you figure it out. It's, the same weight and same volume? As no, it's eggs. not. It's, it's not the weight. It ends up being a volume item. They measure... I don't so exactly. It's the same volume as 53 eggs, but the weight could have been different. Well, they say that it was they. So they give they give an amount. Trying to figure out a lot of the biblical measurements that we try to figure out, they're going to come from the mana, how much it was. But it. it why were they so small? Why not one big piece? Why why get it every single day? Right. Right. There's a whole thing. Well, getting it every single day, that's a that's a trust in Right. So so it's very interesting. The Talmud tell, So bottom line is like there was. An amount. It didn't matter. Everybody had to get their bread, their mana every single day. Like, I don't know that one person could have gone shopping for the whole family's mana. Because here's the thing about the mana. Anybody, if you've ever been on a diet, what's the first rule they tell you? Don't weigh yourself every single day, right? No? Whatever. Whatever. But basically, because if you weigh yourself every single day, you're going to make yourself crazy. You're up three ounces. You're down half a day. Like it's, it's, it makes you crazy. The mana was a spiritual weight taking every single day. There's a whole conversation. How did the mana come? Was it ready to eat? Did you need to work it? Did it? Da, 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 da. So because the later on, when they talk about the mana again, they say it was, it was. They had to gather it. They had to grind it. They had to thing. But sometimes, so the the chachamim say that there was, depending on how you were in your relationship with Hashem today, that's how your mana came. So if you were like all there it would come ready at your doorstep and if it was like you know if you had to walk a little bit okay what if you had to go out into the field to go find it that's a whole different conversation going on over here so this is like a really super stressful I think super stressful way to live like how did I do you know like we thought like we talk about like setting intentions the night before for the next day it's like boom you're gonna know how your day went yesterday and, everybody, and everybody's going to go, how did you know which was my mana, what was your mana? But somehow they all knew that. And the Talmud says that the Torah could only be given to the generation. The Torah could only be given to the people who ate their mana, who lived on such a level of connection to Hashem, of, of faith in Hashem. You know, when they went to sleep at night, there was nothing in the house. You were not allowed to keep the mana over till the next day. You were not allowed to. So, and anything that was left over would melt. And the, the Talmud says that the, the mana would melt and run into the streams and the, the animals would drink that water. And when other nations of the world would hunt those animals and eat them, they would taste the mana and, and praise the Jewish people from the, wow. like that many steps away, right? But for the people living that reality, could you imagine going to sleep every single night and there is nothing in the house, nothing, nothing, nothing. There's nothing to eat. You know, my husband is, he's, you know, a child of survivors. He said, you can never say to his father that there is no food in the house. There's, you don't like the food. You have to prepare the food. You have to cook the food, but there is food in this house. Don't say there's no food in this house. 
the Jews in the desert went to sleep and there was no food in the house. And they had to trust that in the morning, it was going to come up and it was going to be there for them again. And however, they were going to have to, you know, A, the place of that complete trust that it was going to come and B, that sort of spiritual pulse taking on a regular basis. That's also really very stressful. And yet that those two qualities together made this generation able to receive Torah in its most pristine form and be able to, and be able to, uh, and be able to uh, spread it forward. One more thing. For the, and then I, I have to remember to say this. There's one more story that happens in this parsha that on Shabbos, it says that people tried to hold over the mana the first time they got it and it got all wormy and it got all disgusting. Fine, so they couldn't do it. Then Friday, the people came back and they had they had a double portion with them when they came home on Friday. It automatically, no matter how much you took, you came home and found that you had the right amount with you. So they freaked out. They're like, oh my gosh, we all had, we had extra. And that's when they started getting the laws of Shabbos that you can't collect the food on Shabbos. And so therefore they had to prepare. And that's why we now have on our Shabbos table, two beautiful Lecha Mishnah, two, two loaves of bread. Um, so the first Shabbos, the people who had originally, and, and Rashi says it was Dustin and Aviram, who had originally say, saved the thing, they wanted to prove that Moshe was a liar. So they took their Shabbos mana, they spread it out in the field. And in the morning they came and they said to the people, Moshe's a liar, Moshe's a liar. Look, there's really mana out there. But when they gathered the people and they came to the fields, guess what? The Medrash tells us that all the birds came and ate the mana and left. So that when the people came, when Dustin and Aviram came to show them, look, Moshe's a liar, um, there was nothing there. And then those birds were the slum. No, 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 no. It doesn't say it doesn't. No. So as payback, this for many reasons, this Shabbos, this Shabbos is also called Shabbos Shira because there are so many songs that we have going on over here. But this Shabbos, we also put food out for the birds because it thanks for what they did for Moshe. And remember, in most places of the world, it is really very cold and it's very hard for them to find food. And, you know, in the funny things, my mother used to put out, they used to say about putting out kasha, like put out like whatever birds, I guess it's bird seed. But my mother didn't realize like you need to, you don't need to cook it. They're birds. So she used to cook kasha, put it out, and it would freeze in the winter in New York. You know what I mean? So that wasn't super helpful. But there is a there is this place of paying back the paying back the birds and and um and and putting out food. Remember, if you put it out, you have to put it out before Shabbos. You're not allowed to do it on Shabbos itself. So before Shabbos, put out some food for the birds to say thank you for how they helped us. We did not finish the parsha. The parsha finishes it with a fight with a mullet. We didn't get there, we didn't even touch it, we didn't come into that conversation, but we're out of time. I want to give us all a bracha. This week, like I said, is Shabbos Shira. It's the Shabbos of song. There are many, many, many songs that are, that are you know, listed in Torah. We have the men's song, the women's song, the song for the birds, Devorah's song. There's a lot of stuff going on over here. I want to give us all a bracha that we find song in our relationship with Hashem, that the way we relate to Hashem, the way we relate to ourselves and how we do the things we do should be in a place of song that's uplifting, that feeds us in such a deep spiritual way, and that we should be ready to sing the ultimate song when Mashiach is going to come and all the pain and all the suffering and all the sorrow is going to go away and we're going to only be blessed with revealed good personally, collectively for everybody around us. And we should have our instruments ready. You have a real instrument ready um, and to be ready to, to say thank you to Hashem for the miracles that it's given us. Have an awesome rest of the day. Because you're not the animals that are not yours on Shabbos.